Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Hope everybody's having a great day. Always great to be here with our audience to learn about our Catholic faith, to learn how we can improve our Catholic faith and our relationships and what's going on in our lives, really, more than anything else. But before we get started, why don't we go ahead and start with the Angelus like we do here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, and be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. <clears throat> pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, <clears throat> hope everybody's having a blessed Advent season. You know, this is a time of preparation, a time where we're preparing our hearts more than anything else. I know that we start to prepare our homes, we start to decorate, we get the Christmas tree out, the decorations, the ornaments, the wreaths, the green, the red. Our, our homes look so festive and it's beautiful. I love Christmas lights. It's, it's such a wonderful time of year because we really are starting to prepare. Here's the challenging part. We start to prepare and we forget that sometimes we gotta do penance and sometimes we have to take a look at our lives and see what needs to be repaired in our lives um and sometimes it's no fault of our own sometimes what we need to repair wasn't because we broke it you know it's a lot easier i think to accept that hey you know i sinned i did something wrong and i better repair that or i better go to confession i better make amends or whatnot but what about when we've experienced abuse and what if we're worried like some people are that gosh this is not just abuse that happened to me but this is abuse that happened you know, to my parents as well. And this is abuse that happened to their parents and my great-grandparents. And we start getting into this concern about, is there a generational curse on our family? Is there a generational spirit? And if so, what does that mean for my children? What does that mean uh, for future generations? How do we get rid of any attachments or any things of that nature that could be affecting our families? You know, <clears throat> during this holiday season during this time of prayer and during this time of preparation where we're starting to repair ourselves why not repair anything that we feel might be afflicting our family because it can get really complicated sometimes or some people like to really focus on the fact um 
that there could be generational spirits, that there could be entities that are affecting our families. I know that in the charismatic groups, they really get into this and they really start to wonder if they can see what these demons are or see what these spirits are and try to get them away from our family. I like to take a more practical approach where could there be things affecting our family? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But what about just the everyday things that happen to our family that we inherit and that we pass on that don't have to necessarily do with deliverance or evil entities? But really, it comes more from a psychiatric, psychological perspective in the sense that we, we can be affected in certain ways by things and we carry that with us. And then all of a sudden, we hand that down to our generations. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Just get a little coffee before we get started. <clears throat> so one of the things that we need to consider is what if there has been abuse in our family? What if I was abused? What if my siblings were abused? What if my parents were abused? What if one of my parents was abusive? And you know, when, we when it comes to abuse, and we see this in therapy all the time, there's multiple elements that come with it. Um, one of the things is we talk about the cycle of abuse. So sometimes when somebody is abused and they've been bullied or, or that something happened to them, especially when they were a young kid or as they keep growing up, sometimes the cycle of abuse is they become the abuser, right? The, the person doesn't know how to react differently, but we can say, well, geez, that's terrible. That's their fault. One thing to consider is this, as we're growing up, we are learning, our brains are learning and they are forming. So what happens with abuse? Well, if we are abused, all of a sudden our brain learned that that's a way to react or that's a way to act. If we'd never seen that before, we wouldn't act that way. But once we come to know that kind of evil, now we're aware of it. Unfortunately, our brain was aware of it. That's what happened to us as kids. And we hand that down. It's no different than when we look at the positive things in our lives. When we say, gosh, you know, my mom taught me how to cook this wonderful recipe. It's a wonderful uh I don't know, take your pick, casserole, a, a nice cake, something. And this has been in my family for generations. It's a family secret. It's a family recipe, and it's been handed down. I learned it from my mom. She learned it from my grandma, so on and so forth. It's been in the family for a long time. And we always bake this, or we cook this, or we make it up around the holiday season, especially, say, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Boy, and this is a, a family treat, and it's only a, a secret family recipe. How many times do we say that or do we hear that? It's very easy to understand that there's a lot of things that we carry on with our families. Um, not hard to, to understand that. The same thing can happen, uh, say, on the negative side. Let me give you an example. So there's a few patients I've treated who have experienced different types of abuse, and they were wondering if it was a generational spirit or something of that sort. Um, but one of them was, it was a young gal, and she was in her late 20s, I want to say, uh, and she'd already been divorced three times. Late 20s, divorced three times. And so when we talked about what was going on with her, she said, well, here's the situation. She said, my dad was alcoholic. And my brothers were alcoholic. And I swore that after everything I saw in the household, that after all the uh, hardships, you know, my dad would come home drunk. He would miss school or excuse me, he would miss work. She simply calls her brothers. They started, one of her brothers started drinking as early as high school. Uh, and she said he would miss school sometimes because they'd start drinking and the next day they weren't able to function. So what happened in the family? All of a sudden, either she called 
the school or her mother called the school or the work or whatnot to make excuses for them because golly, they weren't ready to go to work. So all of a sudden, or they weren't ready to go to school. So all of a sudden we have the situation where she said, you know, and I would see my dad get so angry and my brothers were just out of control. So what did I do? I swore to myself, I will never, ever be in that situation. In fact, I'm never going to put any of my family members in that situation. I want the, I don't want to have anything to do with any kind of abuse of alcohol. I don't want anything like that. Now, keep in mind, she's in her late 20s, and she's been divorced three times. And I asked her, well, why is that? Why? Well, what happened in each relationship? We walked through it because she didn't want to repeat uh, risk getting into another, another relationship, getting married and getting into a divorce. We walked through it, and she said, Every single one of my husbands was alcoholic. And she didn't really know how to make, how to understand that, how to make sense of that. She said, how is that possible? Here I'm thinking, that's the last thing I ever want to see in my life. I don't want to have any alcoholism whatsoever in my life. In fact, I don't drink at all um, because I can't stand it because I remember everything that was associated with it. And all of a sudden, I'm marrying somebody who is an alcoholic. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. How is that possible, Dr. Sandoval? Why would I do that? I'm trying to get away from this abuse. Is there a generational spirit that's attached to me? Is there something that's happening that is making me just be attracted to alcoholic men and it's diabolical and it's demonic and I need to either find the right prayer, do a binding prayer, do a deliverance prayer, do I need an exorcism? What is it that I need to do to get away from all this. Well, folks, we need to consider a few things. I wouldn't necessarily say that there is a generational spirit or anything like that attached to her at this point. There was no diabolic activity. There was nothing dark in her life. There was nothing that I would say, be careful because, you know, gosh, it looks like there's something really trying to destroy you. It wasn't like that at all. Spiritually, she was fine. She could go to church. She could pray. She was Catholic. She still wanted to receive the sacrament. She still wanted to do the right things. Her marriages were annulled. Uh, because of the alcoholism, because of, of that. And she felt really silly at this point. She thought, what's going on? Why is it that I'm being, you know, that I'm in this situation? Why can't I be smarter is what she was saying. She really felt dumb is what she said. Uh, those were her words. She said, I really feel, feel dumb. I feel stupid. I feel like I don't know um, how to move forward. And what's wrong with me was the question. We had to take a look at this from a very uh, practical stand. Um, and really ask her, first of all, well, why do you think you're attracted, you're, you're dating or attracted to men who suffer from alcohol, uh, abuse? Why do you think that alcoholism is there? Why is that even in the picture? She said, you know, I don't know. They seem really nice. I really like them. They seem so charming. Something about them is, is just very comforting and nice at first. And then I feel like I get duped. Why do I get so duped, Dr. Sandoval? This must be a generational spirit. Well, if we look at this from a practical psychiatric perspective, guess what she learned when she was growing up? This young gal, she was young, she was still in her late 20s, she learned how to love alcoholism, believe it or not. Well, how is that possible, Dr. Sandoval? How did she learn how to love alcoholism? It's very simple. It's, it's very true, and this can happen. I don't want any to, anybody to feel foolish or anything like that if they keep getting into bad relationships. You got to ask yourself, what did you learn to love? How is it that I learned to love this? How is it possible that I learned to love abuse? And we're going to talk about what I mean by love. I don't mean it in a mushy, gushy, oh, this is what I'm looking for. After the break, when we come back, we're going to see how is it possible that I can actually be attracted to something that's bad for me. More after the break. 
All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. As always, it is a pleasure to be here um, on our Thursday afternoons normally. Um, always good to talk about our Catholic faith, especially when we're talking about sensitive topics. You know, it's hard to go to seek out therapy. A lot of times people want to go to a therapist. The idea of going to talking to somebody is, is really good. And then we think, oh, if we're going to go talk to a therapist, boy, they're going to resolve my problems. They're going to go deep into me and see what's wrong and, and really fix me and help me to know who I am as a person. Um, well, it, partially kind of that happens. I think more than anything else, we got to remember when we go talk to a therapist, our therapist is merely a guide. You know, the therapist just kind of helps point us in the right direction, but we've got to do a lot of the work and that can be really, really challenging. You get a lot of people sometimes coming to me looking for the answer and I might not have the answers, but I'm going to help guide you, give you a perspective, uh, give you a different way to look at things. And that's probably the most important thing. A lot of people, once it comes to going to therapy, like the idea is great. But once it comes to going to therapy, a lot of people shy away and they say, boy, I really want to go. I really want to go. And all of a sudden it becomes real. And it might be something like, I don't know, it's too overwhelming. It's too scary. I'm not ready to open up that can of emotional worms. And that can happen. But if you find yourself a good therapist, somebody who's willing to walk with you, you can open up that can of worms, shall we say. And you might realize that it's not that big a deal. It might not be a can. It might just be one worm. It might not even be, it might actually be an empty can. It might be something that's very doable, very workable. Um, so give yourself that chance, especially if you've ever found yourself in situations uh, like the case we're discussing now, a situation where there was an abusive household. You know, before the break, I was talking about how somebody can actually fall in love with abuse. And what I mean by that is not that we want to be abused. It's not that we want to be hurt. Uh, if you've ever been in difficult relationships and relationships where you say, gosh, what's wrong with me? I saw these red flags and I just ignored them. Um, you know, if, if uh, you've ever been in a situation where you date people and, and you realize, man, they start so nice and there's something wrong with me because they don't stick around. They break up with me or I, I, I stick around the relationship. Here's a classic one. I should, should have broken up a long time ago. I stuck around in that relationship longer than I should have. I was afraid to be alone. I was afraid to to not have something there. I was afraid to feel empty. That's very classic. I don't want anybody to beat themselves up over doing this. I think it's good to understand why we do this and to not try not to do it again because it's a little bit of how we're hardwired. And what I mean by that is this. Before the break, we were talking about a situation where a young gal, late 20s, She'd been married three times and each time was to an alcoholic husband uh, and she had come from a family of alcoholism. Her dad was alcoholic and her brothers were alcoholic. Her brothers were alcoholic at a young age from what she recalled. Challenging because I said before the break, she fell in love with abuse. And what do I mean by that? Let's not think about love in the classical sense that we speak about love. What I mean by that is that her brain learned how to be attracted to abuse. Why? Because we have no choice but to love our parents. And this is, you know, something that we need to think about as parents uh, and something that we need to think about as children, too. So from from the parent perspective, what am I having my children fall in love with? I'm presenting myself as a parent to my children. What are they becoming attracted to? What is it that their brains are forming neurons towards? What do I mean by that? Let's let's look at this situation. So this gal told me that when she was growing up. There was a lot of abuse in her household. So not only was her dad drinking, her brother's drinking. She saw them passed out. She saw them drunk. That alone is abusive in the, in the sense that 
we never want to see our parents that way. We always imagine our parents to be in control. We always imagine kind of our parents to know everything. It's okay as parents to be vulnerable and to let our kids know that we're not perfect. But I think that when we have a situation from a child's perspective, where we see that our parent is not in control, and many times we have to parent them, I have to call and make excuses for them at work or at school for my siblings. You know, I have to take care of the morning dishes because my parents aren't able to do that. You know, whatever the situation might be, things that we would expect our parents to take care of that they're not doing, um, that can be pretty challenging because it can make us think, well, where am I now? I'm the parent. What's going on here? Uh, and we see our parents as not capable. This is something for a perspective from a child, right? From the parent's point of view, the parent probably doesn't even think twice about it. They're just kind of doing their own thing. They're, they're drinking and whatnot. She also mentioned that there was some physical abuse in the household. Uh, the way she couched it was she said, you know, gosh, my dad wasn't abusive towards my mom when he was sober, but when he was drinking, he'd get angry and he started throwing things in the house. And he said, she said, I never saw him hit her. But I saw him throw things. I saw him slam doors. And that was pretty scary because we never knew what was going to happen. You know, he even punched a few walls, uh, things of that nature. And so that can be pretty violent. That can be pretty uh, intense. And you would think from the outside hearing this story, all you want to do is run. Here's the challenging part. How are you going to run when this is all you've got? All you've got is your parents growing up from a young age. Who else is going to take care of you? It gets a little bit challenging when your caretaker is also the abuser. And this is where I mean that her brain learned to love uh, abuse. It didn't, it didn't want to love abuse. She doesn't love abuse in the classical sense where she feels that it's cozy and warm and it's something towards her. But guess what? We have no choice but to love our parents. And whatever traits our parents have, we are learning that. We're learning to love that. We're learning that this is the person who's going to take care of us and being taken care of means that the person taking care of us sometimes is abusive. That's the environment that we're in. That's what we learn, sadly, you know, uh, and, and it's not because of we want to learn that. It's not, that's what's presented to us, and we have no choice. This is a huge responsibility as parents. You know, when we get married in the Catholic Church, we make a promise that we're going to educate our children in the Catholic faith. A lot of times parents think that means, of course, I'm going to try to put them in Catholic school, or I'm going to teach them about uh, the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, well, actually, what that means is from day one, I'm going to live a Catholic life. And by my example, I'm going to teach my children how to live a Catholic faith. So for this lady, she didn't have that. This young gal, she didn't, she didn't have that in her household, not coming from her dad. Uh, and she learned that her caregiver, her dad, who she loved greatly, uh, was also abusive. Not surprisingly, later on in life, when she's trying to look for somebody to date somebody to marry somebody to form a family with subconsciously now this happens at a subconscious level it's not something that she would be aware of subconsciously uh she's going to find certain things attractive about different people right how do we find other people attractive what is it we can say well sure dr Chandler, there's a the physical sense i found them beautiful there's classic beauties out there this person this gal was very beautiful the gentleman was very handsome whatever it is we are going to find this and we're going to realize that you know, we're going to be attracted. We're going to have, there's physical traits that we're attracted to on a subconscious level. Why is that? Why is it that you're attracted to this one beautiful person and not this other beautiful person when there can be two equally beautiful people? Well, I don't know. It's the way this person talks or the way that they smile or the sound of their voice. Well, why? How is that attractive? I don't know. I just like that. Sure. So here's what's happening. 
our brain's firing, our neurons are firing. And for whatever reason, at a subconscious level, we are going to be attracted to certain things. In this young gal's case, what she doesn't realize is happening is she's going to be attracted to certain traits that people have. They're going to mimic what she saw at home because that's what she learned to love. She learned to love her dad. She, we have no choice but to love our mom and dad uh, when we're in that environment. Uh, the, these are our caretakers. And this is the big responsibility for parents. What is it that we're teaching our children to love? Are we teaching them to love being taken care of? Or are we teaching them to love that, hey, sometimes you're going to be in an abusive situation? That's challenging. As parents, we don't always see that. Uh, and I want Obviously, I want to teach my children that they need to be cared for, that they always need to be treated well. Um, and so we, we're very aware of that, uh, especially if we if we want to follow that Catholic faith and that Catholic example from the beginning. That's really bringing your children up in the Catholic faith is I have to be the example of our Catholic faith. Not only do I have to practice what we preach, but I have to preach what we practice. And so that's the important part of being in, a, in an environment where there's not going to be abuse. Well, let's go back here. So we talked about, is this a generational spirit? Is this something, alcoholism? Because I marry these guys and all of a sudden, you know, they're alcoholic too. And then my children are going to be exposed to alcoholism. She didn't have any children at this point. Um, but, you know, the children are going to be exposed to alcoholism. And there we go. The cycle of abuse gets repeated. Uh, but in this case, if you think about it, is there a spirit of alcoholism attached to her? Well, not really. You know, when she's out there dating, these other guys have alcoholism. I don't know if there's a spirit of alcoholism attached to them or not. Some people might argue, want to argue that, and that's fine. But she didn't want to have anything with alcoholism. She was an alcoholic herself. She was not drinking. I can't say that there was anything driving her to drink. A lot of people will want to see that as a you know, dark entity might be driving her. Or she has a familial spirit attached to her. And that's not, not necessarily the case. In her particular case, she did not have anything like that attached to her. She was just attracted to other men. And I would dare say this is strictly more on a psychological level, on a uh, subconscious level, that we act every day that we don't realize, and this is why it's subconscious, but it's going to affect our choices. And this is where now the cycle of abuse, I wouldn't in her case say that it was a generational spirit or anything like that. I would say that it was some a heritable trait, alcoholism, sure. What I would tell her is, Okay, let's hopefully find a healthy relationship for you. Let's let's change the way we're thinking or our approach. When we see these red flags in the abusive situations, uh, or we start to notice that there might be an abusive situation, we need to walk away. That's probably the hardest part right there for her. How are we going to find that healthy relationship after having experienced all that abuse and been exposed to all that abuse and made to believe that we're supposed to be treated in a certain way? Because that's what we're teaching our children, too. We're teaching them this is how you're supposed to be treated. Um, how do I change that? How do I get that into a healthy relationship? Well, there's definitely ways to do that. And we're going to talk about that towards the end here of the show. But the first thing I would say is for her, realize, okay, you're going to get into a healthy relationship eventually. Hopefully you'll have children uh, in a healthy relationship, a nice family. But here's what you do have to be aware of biologically is you got to let your kids know, hey, your uncles, your grandfather, they were all alcoholic. I need you guys to be careful because you might carry that gene. So we do know that that can be a generic, a genetic trait, right? So genetically speaking, there are some people who just inherit the, the gene of alcoholism and all of a sudden the brain gets turned on to alcohol. So I would be very cautious with the children and say, what am I passing on biologically? A lot of times people uh, don't realize this, but it's pretty similar, if you will. 
we're going to talk a little, a little bit about the classic generational spirits as well. But when it comes to abuse, the first thing to understand is how is it affecting me? And what am I passing on to my kids? What environment am I creating? But am I letting them know the honest truth of, well, this is the way things were, uh, the, what I experienced, and this is what I don't want you to experience. This is what I don't want you to fall into any kind of traps. Um, and I need you to understand this because if we carry this gene in our family, uh, you might pass it on to your kids as well. So you got to be careful. That's, that's a very challenging thing to consider. The other thing to consider is this. There was another case of abuse, shall we say, uh, and it was a young gal as well. It happened to be the young gals, not so much because guys aren't abused, but usually women are better at expressing uh, how they feel or being a little bit more in tune with coming to therapy and talking about how they're feeling. This young gal, she was in her, uh, she was a college age. She was in her early 20s. Uh, she was probably about 20 or 21. And she came to my office and she said, uh, my father was very, very abusive to me when I was growing up. And I don't know how to deal with that. I'm very, very angry at him. Uh, I don't know how to control that anger. And I can't stand him. And I don't want to have anything to do with him. And I don't want him to have anything to do with my life, my future. How can I make that happen? What can I do in therapy to help me out? I told her that's not necessarily the best approach. And we're going to talk about why after the break. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we are talking about abuse and how, and generational spirits, if there are any, and how do we fix it? How do we make things better in our families? How do we uh, improve ourselves so that as we're making future choices to create our own families, to get married, and to know who to marry, uh, we don't repeat certain cycles. We don't repeat certain cycles of abuse. Before the break, uh, we talked about a, we were talking about a young gal who was in her early 20s who came to talk to me about the fact that she grew up with a very abusive household. Her father was abusive. Now, she didn't say that he was sexually abusive in any way, but she said he was mean. He was demeaning to her. He always put her down, um, made her feel less. And as she went off to college, so she got out of the house, she went out, out to college, and she started to see a whole different world. She didn't feel so trapped. And she told me that she, as she started to meet people, she started to realize she wanted to have nothing to do with her dad. Um, she wanted to have no idea about him, wanted him erased from her life. Uh, and and she was so angry, you know, and everybody would think, yeah, justifiably so, right? If somebody's been putting you down, if somebody's been a bully to you, why wouldn't you be angry at them uh, and want them completely out of your life? Well, here's the challenging part. We started talking about, okay, how do we move forward from this? Because you've been in this situation, you've been, uh, as people say, a victim of abuse. I don't want you to have the victim mentality, though, is what I told her. And she was started to talk about that a little bit. And she said, but I'm a victim. And I said, sure, <clears throat> you can think of it that way. You've been victimized. Uh, if you want to look at it from a perspective, if we're going to label things, there's the aggressor, there's the victim, there's a predator, there's the prey. But I said, the problem is that the idea of you are a victim, or we get into that victim mentality, sometimes we start to feel like, well, that's who I am. I'm a victim. We get into this victim shell, and then we start living life as a victim. That's one of the challenging things that can happen psychologically. And again, this is where the abuse cycle can happen. If you don't, shall we say, empower yourself to realize that 
Yes, you've been victimized. It's kind of like if I got mugged in the street, well, I'm a victim of the mugging, but am I a victim? Well, no, I was victimized. They were they they put me in a situation where somebody took my wallet or something along those lines. However, does that change who I am as a person? And I think sometimes when we start saying I am a victim, we start identifying as a victim in, in terms of our identity. <clears throat> we never want to do that. We never want to take the approach of I am something other than I'm a child of God. That's how I got to move through life. That's my identity. I'm a child of God and I got to make it to heaven. However, whatever that means on my path and my journey, we all have different journeys to get there. But that's really our identity. There's no other identity. You can say, well, Dr. Sandoval, you are a doctor. Well, no, I'm not a doctor. I practice medicine. So yes, the world will say I'm a doctor. But what it is, is I have I carry the title of a doctor. I am still a child of God getting to heaven. That's my identity. The fact that I'm that I practice medicine, that I'm I'm a practitioner of medicine, that I carry the title of doctor, uh, the world will also say you are a doctor, but that's not exactly correct when we're thinking about who we are as people. As people, our only identity is we are children of God. That's it. And we're moving towards heaven. Whatever we choose to do in that journey, whatever profession we take up, wherever we put our talents, that's a different story. You know, we all have different talents, but if we start seeing each other as, no, we are all children of God, what we happen to do is individual, okay, that's a different perspective. Why do I say that? Because in this particular case, she was in an abusive situation. She was said that she was never physically abused. She didn't remember being hit. It was just very emotional. Now, here's what I will say. Sometimes it's the wounds that we don't see that are the most that are the deepest and hurt the most and are probably the most prevalent in society. Those are the ones that we really carry. There's a very heavy emotional component to us as people, and we can carry these wounds. Nobody else is going to see them. We're going to feel scarred on the inside. And if we don't know how to let them heal and move on for them and recognize that, yeah, okay, this happened to me, but I got to move forward. If we choose to identify as I am a victim of this abuse, that wound will always be open. And that's my identity because I have to keep this open wound. Otherwise, I'm not going to know how to move forward. So with her, with this young lady, what we talked about, first of all, was I don't want you to take on that victim mentality. That's not your label. That's not who you are. It's something that you experienced. And we got to let that heal. We got to move forward and understand that, yes, this happened, but it's okay. It's going to heal. Not that what happened was okay. But that I'm okay. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to recover from this in the sense that I'm going to understand what happened to me, but I'm not going to let it happen again. If I fall down and I scrape my knee, I'm going to be a little bit more careful about where I tripped because I don't want that to happen again. Does that mean that I don't have that knee scar? No, it's still going to be there and it's going to heal and it might leave a mark, but I'm going to be careful next time I walk down that path, right? Okay. So that's kind of the same thing I was telling her. First of all, you got to move forward and you got to realize this happened. But I don't want to fall into the same trap. I don't want to be abusive to my children. And I do not want to uh, be in a relationship where I'm going to be abused. So the first thing I got to do is realize, hey, once I'm in a relationship, if I start seeing these red flags, if somebody starts treating me in the same vein, in the same way, I got to walk away from that. There's no question about it. It's going to hurt. I got to make a plan because I got to recognize, realize it, become a little bit numb to it and realize I just got to walk away. I can't question it too much. Okay. Now, granted, I can talk to people and say, hey, my boyfriend, my girlfriend said this or that. What do you think? Is this abusive? It's always good to check in with other people. And here's a big red flag. If your boyfriend or girlfriend ever try to keep you away from your family or take you away from your friends and just want you to themselves, 
that's a huge red flag. That's something if you can't even talk to other people about your relationship, it's already not a healthy relationship. That's the first thing I would want anybody to consider. Now, in terms of this young gal, let's get rid of that victim mentality. The other thing that we needed to consider, though, was where are you at in terms of being able to forgive your dad? This was a challenging situation. This was a challenging conversation we had. Why? Because she's saying, Dr. Sandoval, this person abused me. He made me feel really bad. Why does he deserve to be forgiven? Well, this is where we had a, shall we say, generational, biological, and generational spiritual conversation. Because now we got to get into the realities of life. You might not like to hear this, I told her, but one of the challenging things is that half of your genes are his. You better find something positive about him because when we choose to not forgive somebody, one, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to find all the negative things. We're always going to see them as all bad. And we can become a little borderline-ish in that sense. People become all bad or all good. But if I'm, you know, my dad was abusive, that's all it is. They were all bad. There is nothing good about them. And that's it. There, there's no redeeming quality. Uh, and that's the only way I'm going to see them. Boy, I'm never going to forgive them. They don't deserve it. Right? We start thinking that because we think that forgiveness is a gift. Well, it kind of is a gift. But the reality is forgiveness is a gift to ourselves. Because this is what I explained to her. I said, first of all, half of your genes are his. So I hope you find something good because I would hate to think that half of you is all bad. If you're telling me that he's all bad, he's no redeeming quality. Well, you receive genes, half of your body, half of what's coursing through your body then came from something that is 100% bad. And so the first thing you need to think about is you better find a good quality about him. You better find something that he did well. I'm not saying that he was, that the abuse was good at all. That, of course, we can categorize that in, a, in the bad basket, if you will. But we are all capable of doing good or bad. He chose to do bad. So the first thing I told her was remind, remind yourself of even one thing that's positive because you want to find that in yourself as well. You want to find the positivity in yourself that came from him. Yeah, he was abusive. How do we justify that? The other thing I told her was imagine how sad it is that he has a young gal, a little girl, a daughter, and the best he can do is be abusive or, the, or that he has a capacity to do, be abusive towards her. How sad is that? Where did he come from? How did he grow up that that was the best he could do for his daughter, that he didn't know how to bring his daughter up inside emotionally, that he didn't know how to be kind to her, that he didn't, that he even had the capacity to be abusive towards her. What happened in his life when he was a little boy? Was he abused? Was there something, what kind of distortion occurred in his mind, in his conscious or subconscious, that he didn't know how to approach a young child? as they were growing up, that he didn't know how to bring her up feeling loved all the time. You know, we're not perfect as parents. We're going to have times where we get so angry about things that, boy, you know, we want to kill our kids is what they say. Not literally. Uh, we're not literally going to harm anybody that way. It's the expression. But we get so angry that hopefully nobody does that literally. Although if you see in the news, people sadly do end up doing that. At that point, I wonder what's going on with them purely psychiatrically, I want to do a psych eval in that matter. If you're actually taking somebody's life, boy, that's a whole different story, you know, but we can get really angry with family members. Why do we get angry? Because we're hurt. We're emotional. And was her dad hurt by something? Is that why he chose to be abusive towards her? I don't know. I'd have to talk to him. I don't know, but this is her experience and that's all I've got to go on. And that's what I want to hear is how she experienced this because however she experienced it, her perspective on it is what's going to carry her to make decisions in the future. Same with us. 
However, we experience a situation that we feel is abusive or that we perceive as abusive is going to affect how we handle ourselves in the future, how we do things, uh, how we relate to people, who we date. So in this case, I told her, you better find something positive because you're going to carry half of his genes, uh, half of your half of you are, are his genes, the other half is your mom's genes. Find something positive because you got to find something positive about that. You're going to pass things on to your children. And I don't, obviously, you don't want to pass on that abuse. You want to pass on uh, the, the positive side. Was there anything you learned from him? Did he even, I don't know, change a tire well? Did he uh, know how to uh, dress well? Whatever it was, something even small. Find that positive uh, nugget that you can pass on. Because here's the spiritual component. If you don't forgive somebody, you're going to carry that with you. And you're going to, that's where you're going to carry dark entities attached to that unforgiveness. And then when you get married... You go on and you have your children. Believe it or not, we are still treating other people from that perspective of unforgiveness. And you might think, oh, that unforgiveness, you know, I'm not going to forgive him. That's isolated to just him. You know, that's okay because I'm not going to forgive him, but the rest of my life is okay. Now, now you got a problem because if you're carrying lack of forgiveness, you're going to, that's how you're going to relate to other people as well. That's still part of you. That's something that you're, that you're carrying with you. It's like carrying a heavy backpack and saying, well, this heavy, heavy backpack, it, it only has to do with one person, but it's not going to affect anybody else in my life. Well, no, you're going to be carrying that heavy backpack no matter where you are, no matter who you're talking to. You know, hey, mom, let's go on a hike. Oh, no, I can't. I got this heavy backpack. Well, yeah, but I thought that was just isolated to that one person. No, it's attached to me. I can't go on a hike with you. I can't do things with you. I'm not going to be spiritually open, emotionally open, and light and happy if I'm carrying unforgiveness to be open to my children like that, to offer them pure happiness and to show them how to forgive. What did I tell somebody else? Yeah, you got to forgive that person. You got to unload yourself of that. But if I can't do that for myself, guess what? This is where the generational spirits might come in. I'm bringing something in that's dark, and I'm actually interacting with other people while I carry it. More after the break. All right, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today we are talking about how to undo the knots of abuse how to move forward from abuse and is abuse in our families caused by what some people call generational spirits uh, or familial spirits. Let's talk a little bit about what that is. I know we talked about a couple stories of abuse and I mentioned how there is very, very much a psychiatric component, psychological component to how we carry ourselves, what we bring to the family uh, based on what we've experienced in life, what we, uh, what we're going to, how we're going to treat other people is what I should say. You know, usually how we've been treated is how we're going to treat other people. And that's what people refer to as a cycle of abuse. If we've been in an abusive situation, if we've been in a situation where we feel that we were betrayed, treated poorly, or where we feel that we were victims, a lot of times people will turn around and victimize other people. That can be a really challenging place to be. So what do we do about this? What, how do we approach this? You know, is this strictly psychiatric? Well, before the break, we talked about how there can be spiritual components to things that we pass on. I mentioned that if we are carrying uh, what people call the spirit of unforgiveness, I'm not saying demon, but I'm saying the spirit of unforgiveness, uh, meaning that we carry that with us, there's going to be a part of us that that's how we're going to relate to the world. And what do I mean by that? Well, imagine how somebody might go around talking to other people, you know, you're not in a good mood, 
you talk to other people a certain way and we're believe it or not we're transmitting emotion to people based on how we talk how we interact how we look at them our tone of voice our expression how do we know that because if you're having a ho-hum day people will say gosh you look like you're down are you feeling depressed what's going on and usually the person will walk away maybe feeling a little bit down themselves maybe a little bit depressed themselves you never know we pass that on in the same way, imagine that you just won the lottery. How happy are you going to be? You know, how elated are you going to be? And how are you going to relate to people? Are you going to be smiling to you know when you talk to people? Are you going to see people and wish them well and wish them good fortune? Are you going to you know come with a spirit of happiness, with a spirit of luck, or a spirit of uh, and by spirit I just mean attitude, you know, a spirit of good luck, a spirit of hopefulness. You know, I just won the lottery. If it happened to me, it can happen to anybody. Boy, I wish you well. Those are great shoes you're wearing. I really like it. You know, are you exuding positivity? Are you exuding negativity? And this happens. These are the, the different, we can say, um, attitudes that we bring to something. And we say, gosh, you could leave a spirit in the room. I don't mean an entity. I mean it as we talk about, like, say, somebody says, wow, that school has a lot of spirit school spirit how do you know that that school has a lot of spirit well because they're all wearing the school uniform the school colors they take a lot of pride they're cheering for their teams and they're really happy to be part of that school and when the school says we're going to do this project everybody chips in everybody's in there's a lot of school spirit have you heard of that term this is where i wonder what's going on with generational spirits so a lot of times we say you know if you're going to look at things i'm going to uh, put a um a website here there's a a really good article uh, somebody transcribed Father Ripperger and how he explained uh, generational spirits and how to fight them. And he's talking about actual demons and demon entities. Um, but for the most part, what I would say, the majority of families that we sometimes we like to focus on, oh, there's got to be a demon and we got to fight this demon. That's a distraction from really the reality of I can bring a certain spirit into my home. It's kind of like a school spirit. What's my family spirit? Does that family, when they're going to do something, do they, do they take trips together? Are they happy to be together? Do they really try to get together for the holidays? Uh, do mom and dad, are they positive with each other when they see each other? Are they happy? Or mom and dad, can you tell that they're not getting along? These are the spirits that we bring to our family. And if we're bringing a spirit of unforgiveness, and even if we think, no big deal, because I'm just not forgiving one person, but, you know, I love my family, I love my kids, I love my wife, so no no big deal on that. I'm just going to, even though I don't forgive this one person, that's okay, because my family is going to be different. Well, guess what? Unfortunately, subconsciously, you're carrying the spirit of unforgiveness, whether we like it or not. We're bring, introducing that and bringing that into our home. And that's kind of sad. We don't even realize it sometimes. What is it that we're bringing into our home? What attitude are we bringing into our home? Uh, and that's something to consider. Why do we need to consider that? Because when it comes to abuse, if I label myself as a victim, I'm going to bring that into my home. In fact, I'm going to bring that into how I interact with other people. I'm going to have the sense that I'm always a victim uh, and that other people might uh, always be trying to get a, a, a hold of me or trying to abuse me or trying to hurt me in some way. And I'm going to act that way around the world. I'm going to have that perspective with everybody I act with. One of the challenges of that is somebody's always a victim. How are they going to get into a healthy relationship? Because they're going to get into a relationship, they're going to identify themselves as a victim. And all of a sudden, if their partner or their loved one does something, they're always going to question it. And they're going to say, are they trying to abuse me? Is that a red flag? Is it not a red flag? And then we're not going to see clearly because we're not going to say, no, you know what? I'm independent. I can make my own choices. I realize that I've been victimized in the past, but 
I'm not a victim. I'm going to move forward. And if there's something I don't like, I'm going to speak up. This is where we have the victim mentality. We don't speak up. We, we stay very quiet or we want to fight everything because we feel that everything is an injustice. It's not a healthy balance. It's the same thing with not forgiving people. We can bring that spirit into the home. And then guess what? All of a sudden our children learn to not forgive because they're going to say, well, you never forgave grandpa. So it's okay. That's you. You taught me that it's okay to not forgive. And that's not the case. That's not what we want to teach our children. I, that will be the case if that's what we bring in. Um, but if we really want to teach our children to, to forgive or we want to teach anybody around us to forgive, we've got to practice it first, right? So not only do we have to practice what we preach, but we got to preach what we practice. And if we're telling our kids, hey, this is the way to do it. You want to forgive that person. I better have gone through that journey myself or it's not going to be very credible. This is how we move forward and how we move away from uh evil spirits, generational spirits, darkness in our home, we got to bring that positivity. Uh, is it possible to have actual demons attached to, to the home? Sure, that can happen. Rare, but it can happen. Um, you can read this article all on how does it happen? What are these curses? How are they passed on? How is it the demons are attached to people? But that's an interesting article. But what I really want to focus on is we have a whole lot of power into how we can bring perspective, how we can really create that spirit in our home of positivity. Because if there is a spirit of negativity, the first thing I would tell people is, what do you think your family mission is? And they're going to say, well, what do you mean, Dr. Sam? Well, family mission? Yeah. The reality is, if you read this article, there's a part where uh, Father Ripperger mentions this. There's This is important. So let me read the, this little paragraph in this article, and we're going to talk about family mission here. Let me see here. It says, generational spirits, when you're talking about them in the general sense, are analogous to the guardian spirits that God assigns. And this is what I was going to talk about. The categories are essentially the same. So you can also have the following types of generational spirits in the family. This is going to be interesting because when we talk about generational spirits, everybody thinks it's negative. But listen to this. When properly constituted within a valid marriage, God assigns a guardian angel to safeguard each particular family, but very often Satan will send a demon in order to tempt it. Moreover, the, the meaning tempt the family. Moreover, the goal of that demon is to get his foot in the door so as to become permanently attached to the line, but he also may try something else. Demons are all in a hierarchy, so the one above him may say, get me into this family. So then he sends a little minion out and the minion tempts them in a manner that he knows will open the door to the stronger kind of spirit. So a lot of people will focus on, whoa, wait a minute, there's a minion and there's a demon. I want to go back to that first part where it says when properly constituted in a valid marriage, God assigns a guardian angel to safeguard each particular family. So that's the important part. This is where we got to ask ourselves, okay, there's a whole lot of abuse out there. There's a whole lot of different things going on. But really, in my family, what's my family's mission? What's my family's Catholic mission? If we got married, God is going to give us a guardian angel to our family. And what does God expect from our marriage? What does God expect from our family? There can be very positive things. And there's a guardian angel. Well, what's the spirit in God's eyes of my family? What is it that my family is supposed to do? This is where we see that there are families who, from generation to generation, have always, I don't know, made olive oil or wine, or things are handed down to the family. We worry a lot about the negative things. I think if we can focus on the positive things, we won't worry so much about being victims and abused and things like that. But if we can really look at what the positive fruit of our family is, 
what's our family mission? What's our heavenly business, if you will, with our family? Are we meant to be a very prayerful family? Are we meant to really focus on the missionaries? Are we meant to be a family who are an example of the virtues? Are we going to each practice different virtues in our family? Our kids, you know, each particular virtue, somebody's very humble, somebody uh, has a good temperance. Are we going to have prudence? What is it that our family really does spiritually? What generational spirit is in our family that we're handing down in a very positive way? We forget to look at that because we're so worried about all the negativity and the abuse and things of that nature, which needs to be healed. But the best way to heal it is to say, I want to get rid of those knots that might be created. I want to get rid of all that abuse. Why? What's the point of getting rid of the abuse and, and getting rid of the negativity so that I'm free to focus on the positive? That's really the bottom line. Remember, I said our identity is children of God. Our identity is children of God until we make it to heaven. So psychologically speaking, if that's who we are, I can't put any other label on me. I might deal with things. You know, somebody has depression. A lot of times people say, oh, I am depressed. Well, you're going through a depression or I am anxious. Well, don't label yourself just yet. I am schizophrenic. Well, sort of. You suffer from schizophrenia. You might be dealing with schizophrenia. You might be dealing with depression. You might be dealing with anxiety, but you are a child of God who is on their way to heaven. Our family, we are all children of God on our way to heaven. What mission do we have now? When I get married, I'm going to have a particular mission with my wife. Well, when I got married, I assumed God gave us a mission. And we got to pray and ask ourselves, okay, God, we're uniting these two people to create their own individual family. What's this family's spiritual mission? What is it that we're supposed to teach our kids? What's our goal? What is it that you want from us so that we can get to heaven? We are your children, and we're continuing to be your children. I got to pass on the positive family spiritual vibes, if you will. I got to pass on the positive heavenly spirit, not the demonic spirits. They're going to attach themselves. Sure, they could. The same way abuse can attach itself, the same way unforgiveness can attach itself. But I don't want that to be the defining nature of my family. Is that is that how I want to define my family? Or do I want to get rid of that abuse? How can I possibly find out how to do that? Well, one of the things that I would recommend is making sure that we don't forget, oh, we only have a minute left. Look up Mary Undoer of Knots. If we can pray a novena, if we can look at Our Lady and turn to Our Lady and say, Our Lady, please undo any knots in our family. We can do novenas. We can uh, make sure that we pray with our kids. We can just have a nice devotion every day on the every eighth of the month is the day devoted to Our Lady Undoer of Knots. If we bring her into our family, we pray our rosary, we lead a sacramental life, we teach our children to go to confession because we go to confession as a family. This is how we're going to do all those unnegative knots. But we can't negate them. We can't be in denial of them. We have to look at them for what they are, which can be really hard to do. And this is where you might want to talk to a therapist, a good friend, spiritual counselor, and say, hey, this is what I see happening in my family. I don't like it. I need to look at it for what it is. But what I really want to find is, what's my spiritual mission? What's the mission of my family? I want to get rid of this negativity or learn how to deal with it so that our whole family can continue to live our Catholic spiritual mission before the eyes of God. I hope this has been helpful. I hope we pray to Our Lady and Doer of Knots.